Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. Somebody said we had deer camp this past weekend. It was a little one. A little one. And you know what Phil says every time after we've had a deer Worst camp? One ever. The best one ever. This that was the hardest one. This yeah, really, it was. really was. This was. <laughs> really, 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 really. What are you pointing at, Jason? What are you pointing at? Where are you? Oh, okay. Larry, an unbiased opinion. How was deer camp? Best ever. Best ever. That's what I like to hear. Best ever. So, guys, we had uh, Nate Larkin here as a guest speaker last week. <clears throat> and then Thursday night, he uh, was the headliner uh, for the men's gathering at Vertical Church. And then he spent the weekend at deer camp with us. And I got to tell you, that was, if you've not been a deer camp member, not been to deer camp, uh, or if you were an alumni, and uh, didn't have the opportunity to go back. I got to tell you, you, you missed out. Nate shared his story at Vertical Thursday night. And then this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, he was a deer camp guy. Just a regular guy like anybody else sitting there with his own issues and own story and things to share and his walk and supporting other guys and being supported by other guys. And it was a, it was a great, great thing. Great weekend. Best one ever. So we're continuing in the series of Father. Got a question. How many of you went back and re-listened either through the video or Spotify, the podcast, to last week's Thursday morning? Two? Two. Really? Three. Do I hear four? What about the five rocks? How many of you went through an initiation from boyhood to adulthood? Nobody. How many of you here, after hearing that last week, are thinking about doing something with their sons or their grandsons? Absolutely. Initiation. When he talked about his friend looking at his son and telling him, kiss your mother. Tell her goodbye. Men are waiting. Kiss your mother. Tell her goodbye. Men are waiting. How many times as a grown man have I wanted to go back to my mom for nurturing instead of sitting with men and being fathered? That's what deer camp's about what this series is about and i hope it'll touch your heart we're through with deer camp for uh the spring there are fish camps that'll be coming up please consider that if you've not been to a fish camp or a deer camp please consider doing that if you've been to one in the past it's time to go again be connected get back in it be intentional heavenly father we thank you for the opportunity of gathering here lord i thank you for my brothers i thank you for the leadership team lord i thank you for phil the dedication that he has continuing to, to be here each Thursday. For the men that are here, Lord, thank you for the biscuits, the coffee. Mm -hmm. Most of all, thank you for your work on the cross mm -hmm. to reconcile us with Father God. In your name we pray. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Morning, gentlemen. Morning, Phil. Exciting to be here after the best deer camp ever. Unbelievable. Um, this deer camp, as uh, Joe was talking about, was special in so many ways. Um, having Nate Larkin with us and some of the Sampson Society uh, guys was just affirming and validating and it was just really special. And then we got to use our new kitchen pavilion for the first time and we continue to move toward uh, finishing all the updates and renovations and all that, just really, really special. And then um, I was, uh, I was, uh, just so grateful uh, uh, for the whole weekend. And uh, it, it was special for me in so many ways, one of which is uh, Yofi uh, kind of tattooed my uh, new Jeep Wagoneer. I'm driving a Jeep Wagoneer and Yofi got sick Saturday night and 
I wasn't sure what was wrong with her, and I put her in the car, and she did her business all over my car. So I drove home on Sunday, and you know when you go through a full-service uh, car wash, and they deodorize your car, and they ask you what uh, uh, flavor do you want, new car, uh, peppermint, whatever? Well, evidently, I chose baby diaper. <laughs> <laughs> so I drove all the way uh, to Fairhope and I didn't have a problem staying awake. <laughs> it was the baby diaper deodorant. Uh, so uh, got home and got me some warm soapy water and Cascade and I detailed my car as best I knew how. Uh, and I think I got the smell out. So Yofi tattooed my car. Um, gentlemen, I'm excited about this morning um, and continuing to work with our uh, series, uh, The Power of a Father. I want to offer you a song by that great gospel singer, Conway Twitty. And um, I, I gave Chris so many Bible verses, uh, we didn't get to put the words of the song um, on your handout. So I apologize to Chris for loading him up uh, with uh, so much scripture. But uh, Jeff's got the words of the song. I, I want to just read these words. These are so powerful before we listen to the song. That's my job. I woke up crying late at night when I was very young. I dreamed my father had passed away and gone. My world revolved around him. I couldn't lie there anymore. So I made my way down the mirrored hall and tapped upon his door. And I said, Daddy, I'm so afraid. How will I go on with you gone that way? Don't want to cry anymore, so I may, so may I stay with you? And he said, that's my job. That's what I do. Everything I do is because of you. To keep you safe with me, that's my job, you see. Later, we barely got along, this teenage boy and he, most of the fights, it seems, were over different dreams. We each had hell for me. He wanted knowledge and learning, and I wanted to fly out west. I said I couldn't make it out there if I just had the, I could make it out there if I just had the fare. I got half. Will you loan me the rest? I said, Daddy, I'm so afraid. There's so no guarantee in the plans I've made. And if I should fail, who will pay my way back home? And he said, that's my job. That's what I do. Everything I do is because of you to keep you safe with me. That's my job, you see. Every person carves his spot and fills the hole with life. And I pray someday I might light as bright as he. Woke up early one bright fall day to spread the tragic news. After all my travel, I settled down within a mile or two. I make my living with words and rhymes and all this tragedy should go into my head and out instead as bits of poetry. But I said, Daddy, I'm so afraid. How will I go on with you gone this way? How can I come up with a song to say I love you? That's my job, that's what I do. Everything I do is because of you. To keep you safe with me, that's my job you see. Everything I do is because of you to keep you safe with me. Gentlemen, this series that we've been doing and continue to do is about fathering. We need to be fathered. And as, and as Joe said, so much of our men's coaching weekend is the experience of a group of men fathering one another. It's a fathering weekend in a certain sense. We never outgrow our need to be fathered. And yet part of our journey is to remember our fathers, to esteem our fathers, to honor our fathers, and to forgive our fathers. And hopefully to take what they've given us and be better fathers to our children. May you hear the voice of God as Conway Twitty offers his song to us. Please, 
Be on the alert, stand firm in your faith, act like men, 
Be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Follow with me, gentlemen, on your handout uh, to our introductory paragraph. The power of a father. As men in a culture under attack, we need an understanding of mature masculinity, a vision and direction we can pursue with our sons. We need tools, methods, and ideas to help us become godly men and from which to equip our sons and our daughters. We need to grow up. Part of growing up is identifying who we are. Our identity is critical to the journey of maturity and wholeness. Who are you? Who are you? And a lot of who we believe we are is who we were told that we are with our father. We hear our father's voice in our heart, consciously and unconsciously. He is always with us always and then as we grow in our spiritual journey we transfer from our biological father's voice to our heavenly father's voice if we're really walking appropriately and he walked with god enoch and jacob is our case study of course jacob the patriarch of israel the father of a nation is a troubling character in the old testament he is, a, is so much like us with very human strengths and weaknesses, but a man with a striving for spiritual things. From this imperfect man, we learn important lessons of faith, especially we learn about God's grace. Time to engage, enjoy the adventure. Guys, this whole process of um, understanding our father, living with the dynamic of father, forgiving our father, honoring our father, being fathered, again is so much about what our men's coaching weekend is and um, truly uh, this past weekend was powerful and um, I, I want you to hear uh, from Larry Smith Larry will you come up and Larry was um, uh, at our um, uh, dear camp uh, men's coaching weekend as a new guy first timer uh, this weekend and um, Larry, uh, introduce yourself to the guys and tell them a little bit about um, your experience at Deer Camp. Good morning. Uh, I had different things going through me when I went to Deer Camp. I had no idea what it was going to be like, and uh, uh, it exceeded any of my expectations. And uh, I came out uh, maybe going in there with two friends, and I came out with probably 50 or 60 friends. And uh, that was the miracle that happened, and that's what I wanted, and it just it just happened. Uh, I was born uh, 75 years ago in uh, the original town of Ceasefire in Franklin County in Meadville, Mississippi. <laughs> and uh, so it's kind of ironic that now I'm sitting in a Ceasefire environment, and uh, it reminds me of growing up. And I remember going to the old Franklin Telephone Company and going in there and trying to get in touch with my alcoholic father who could have been anywhere in the Southeast. And, um, and uh, the telephone company helped me uh, find him. Uh, when I was born, I weighed less than two pounds. Uh, that, my shirt weighs two pounds, you know. So it, uh, uh, it was, I was not supposed to live, but uh, I did make it. And uh, when I was uh, 11 years old, my grandmother drove a school bus and she brought me out by the side of the school bus, and I was, like I say, 11 years old. She put a siphon in the gas tank and said, uh, and she sucked the thing and started putting uh, gas in a uh, container. And she said, that's your job from now on. And so for several years, uh, I did that. Now, I don't know what the fine would be now, but uh, at that time, gas was about 16 cents or less a gallon. So uh, it, uh, didn't amount to not a lot, but it's really messed me up mentally. Fast forward, um, I did really well in high school. I got a scholarship to Millsaps and I got a degree in chemistry. And then I got a few more degrees too. I, I, I'm an educated idiot. I, I, uh, I have a master's, I have a master's degree, three masters and a PhD. And uh, I work in, uh, in as an epidemiologist today um, 
a few years ago, we didn't know what an epidemiologist was, but because of COVID, probably every one of you in here now have heard that term. Um, part of my consequences of my behavior later on in life was I got arrested. Uh, I got found guilty. I became a convicted felon and I had to go to prison. And um, I have a wonderful daughter, but that severed totally my relationship with my daughter. She would not speak to me. She would not let me see my grandchildren. I have three grandchildren. At that time, I had two grandchildren. And um, so um, I uh, went to federal prison for 13 months, came back, and I was in a halfway house for over a month, and believe it or not, the halfway house was worse than the prison. Um, it, it was horrible. But uh, I got out of there and, you know, I had a lot of support with some friends and and I got my feet back on the ground and um, it's been a journey, but uh, it um, uh, I am today what I am because of um, all these things that happened to me. Um, I would uh, run into my daughter in Kroger and she would turn her car around and go to the, to the next aisle to, to get away from me. She didn't, she didn't want to have anything to do with me. But uh, that went on for about three years or four years and uh, I was sitting in my house and I finally resolved it in my mind that, okay, this is just the way it's going to be. It's one of my consequences. And I just have to live with that the rest of my life. I received this phone call just a few days before Thanksgiving. It was my daughter. And um, she invited me to Thanksgiving at her house. Um, I went to my daughter's house and uh, the three the, the time that, at that time they were three grandchildren, I think they were eight, six, and three, or maybe four. And the, the youngest grandchild I'd, I'd, never, I'd never met. And so my other two grandchildren, they, they called me people. And they ran over and put their arms around my legs and started hugging me and kissing me. And the youngest one who didn't even know me saw, saw what they were doing. And she ran over and then put her hands around me. And uh, it was probably the most wonderful thing that had ever happened to me. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything in my life on what I did. I, I, they were bad decisions, but as a result of that, I have a relationship now with my grandchildren and my daughter that is, is feel it's the best ever. And uh, uh, you know, God's grace and. And um, things have been good for me. And coming here for the last few months and then going to the deer camp uh, is probably the best experience I've had in my life. And uh, I think I thank Phil for kind of probing me a couple of times to go to deer camp. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Larry. The journey of healing uh, continues, one heart at a time, one man at a time, uh, being reconciled to children, um, forgiving our fathers, uh, renewing um, our uh, commitment to Jesus in a way that uh, he brings healing to families. I want you to do some work this morning, pick up your pen, and I want you to... Um, Turn over in your notes or there in your notes, and Jeff, if you'll throw that slide up of, of the power of a father, the links in the code of conduct. And um, not so much a, a question this morning, but I want you to consider uh, your level of character relative to what we call the code of conduct. A code of conduct, um, is the character qualities that our fathers would have taught us. Um, I want you to evaluate your own relationship with your dad 
relative to these 10 uh, uh, codes of conduct, if you will. Um, and then I want you to consider how you are addressing this in your own personal life. If, if, if you are growing in these areas in your character and even teaching them, uh, modeling them for your son and daughter, uh, as well as your grandchildren. Um, so the first one is intimacy. How well did your father teach you about intimacy? And again, intimacy is not, how well did he teach you how to have sex? That's not what I'm talking about. Intimacy and sex are not synonyms. We, we talk about that often. Intimacy is the idea of making yourself known. Uh, intimacy, intimacy, to, to know and to be known. You know, did your dad really know you? Did he really want to know you? You know, it's interesting to me as we consider this, why is it that when we talk about our journey with our dads and our grandfathers, that we have a generally such a much more sense of intimacy with our grandfathers? Don't we? I mean, isn't that generally true? Why is that? Because our grandfathers are much more attuned to us much more attuned to just knowing us, seeing us, and there's much more intimacy oftentimes with our grandfathers than they are with our dads, you know? And, and, and of course, when we are dads, you know, we're in our 20s and 30s and we're just, you know, we're working hard and we don't have time and we're working and we're trying to provide and we don't have, and, and granddaddy, he's, he's retired. He rides on a tractor. He, he, he takes us fishing. He'll, he'll just sit with us, you know, and tell funny stories. Or he'll just sit with us. Or he just lets us sit on, a, on, his, on his lap. You know, he gives us hugs. He's affectionate. Intimacy. And a lot of times we learn intimacy from our grandfathers more than our dads. But this idea of servant leadership, of working hard and, and caring for somebody else, uh, being taught that, kindness, humility, purity, honesty, self-discipline, excellence, integrity, and certainly last but not least is don't quit, perseverance. So what I want you to do is I want you to kind of think about that for a minute. Consider how you learn those things. Where are you in that learning piece? I've get, I don't, obviously we don't have time to go through all the scripture and all those, but I would hope as the scripture is listed there by each one is over the next uh, several days, even this week, pick one of those uh, or work your way through that list and even look up the scripture. So I want you to turn to your partner and I want you to tell a story about intimacy with your grandfather, um, your father, or a lack of. So just start with the first one. How did intimacy work? Did you feel like that there was intimacy in your home growing up? Just that you were known or was it distant? uninvolved, absent. My dad never knew anything I was doing. How did intimacy work in your home with your grandfather or your dad? Go, pair up. <laughs>
Gentlemen, let's uh, pull back together and we'll work together. This idea of uh, intimacy is so foundational for our life, and that's why in this code of conduct, you know, we start um, with intimacy and work our way through. Again, use this as a way to assess where you are in your own spiritual journey and how you're fathering and how you have been fathered. Um, one of the reasons that Deer Camp is so powerful uh, for all of us that are very much involved and for those of you who are yet to come is because it's an experience in masculine intimacy. There's nothing cheesy about it, certainly not perfect by any means. Um, well, probably the cheesiest thing is me wearing my cowboy hat. Okay, so. Uh, that may be the cheesiest thing about it, you know. Um, but it is masculine intimacy being expressed. Uh, guys are getting fathered. Um, it's real because guys are becoming known and accepted. Uh, it is the experience of, of fathering. So I want you to turn over to Genesis chapter uh, 27. And we'll take a peek at just our case study, Jacob. Um, and this great deception of family dysfunction is highlighted in Genesis 27. And in Genesis 27, you know, we see how Isaac uh, was just so checked out what God had already given him. Um, God had already given him a, a clear description of what was going to happen with his two sons. And um, um, I'm going to start reading at verse 30, but just to hit the highlights previously, it's interesting in verse 34 and 35 of Genesis 26, we see um, this family dysfunction happening when it says, when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Berea, the Hittite and Basemuth, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They turned out to be thorns in the sides of Isaac and Rebekah, family dysfunction, marrying the wrong person, marrying a Canaanite, um, uh, uh, un, um, uh, 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 what's the word? Um, um, unequally yoked. Thank you, Phil. I, you knew, you knew, Phil finishes my sentences now. That's good. Unequally yoked. Um, Family dysfunction. Don't do that. Um, Isaac um, starts, um, and he's he's going to give Esau um, uh, the blessing, is is what he believes. But Rebecca, deceptive Rebecca, broken mama, 
And a lot of our woundedness is from our mothers, not our fathers. Jump down to verse 11 and 12, when Rebecca has already suggested to Jacob that she deceive uh, his daddy and he take the birthright from his older brother. And Jacob said, but mama, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I have smooth skin. What happens if my father touches me? He'll think I'm playing games with him. I'll bring down a curse on myself instead of a blessing. I mean, Jacob knows this is not right. And then mama says, if it comes to that, I'll take the curse on myself. Now just do what I say and go and get the goats. And she's going to deceive her husband. Um, Isaac asked um, Jacob if he's really Esau later on in the passage. Verse 19, Jacob answered his father, I'm your firstborn son, Esau. I'm, I'm your firstborn son, Esau. I did what you told me. Come now, sit up and eat of my game so you can give me your personal blessing. Lie, lie, lie. And Isaac said, so soon, how did you get it so quickly? He had told him to, uh, to go hunting and, and bring him back food. Because your God cleared the way for me. Oh my goodness, did really? Don't, ah, lightning strike him dead right there. He actually honors God, kind of. Man, the deceptiveness. Hang on here. You've done worse. I've done worse. Verse 23. But as he was about to bless him, he pressed him. Are you sure you, you are my son Esau? Isaac says. And once again, Jacob says, yes, I am. Wow. Verse 27, 29. He came close and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his clothes because he was dressed up like Esau, and finally he blessed him. Guys, Isaac simply chose to ignore God, I believe. God had already spoken that the younger son would rule over Esau, and Isaac favored Esau. And he ignored God's plan and he wanted to do everything in his power to do it his way. Dangerous. So jump down to verse 30 and we get more of the narrative. And then right after Isaac had blessed Jacob and Jacob had left, Esau showed up from the hunt. He also had prepared a hearty meal. And he came to his father and said, let my father get up and eat of his son's game that he might give me his personal blessing. Esau's a day late and a dollar short, as we would say. His father Isaac said, and who are you? Well, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac started to tremble, shaking violently. He said, then who hunted game and brought it to me? I finished the meal just now before you walked in, and I blessed him, and he's blessed for good. It's been done. And Esau, hearing his father's words, sobbed violently and most bitterly and cried to his father, my father, can't you also bless me? Your brother, he said, came here falsely and took your blessing. Esau said, not for nothing was he named Jacob the heel. Twice now he's tricked me. First he took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. And he begged, haven't you kept back any blessing for me? Daddy implied. And Isaac answered him, I've made him your master and all your brothers, his servants, and lavished grain and wine on him. I've given it all away. What's left for you, my son? But don't you have just one blessing for me, daddy? Father, oh, bless me, my father. Bless me, Esau sobbed inconsolably. And Isaac said to him, you'll live far from earth's bounty, remote from heaven's dew. You'll live by your sword, hand to mouth, and you'll serve your brother. But when you can't take it anymore, you'll break loose and run free. And Esau seethed in anger against Jacob because of his blessing his father had given him. He brooded. The time for mourning my father's death is close, and then I'll kill my brother Jacob. The pattern of anger 
filling the woundedness of our heart is clear, guys. That's what happens. Angry men. When these words of his older son Esau were reported to Rebekah, mama, she called her younger son Jacob and said, your brother Esau is plotting vengeance against you. He's going to kill you. Son, listen to me. Get out of here. Run for your life to Haran, to my brother Laban. Live with him for a while until your brother cools down, until his anger subsides and he forgets what he did to you did to him. And then send for and then I'll send for you and bring you back. Why should I lose both of you the same day? And Rebecca spoke to Isaac. I'm sick to death of these Hittite women. Again, the women that Esau had married. If Jacob also marries a native Hittite woman, why live? So Isaac called in Jacob and blessed him. And then he ordered him, don't take a Canaanite wife. Leave at once. Go to Param Aram to the family of your mother's father, Bethel. Get a wife for yourself from the daughters of your uncle Laban, meaning marry a cousin. And may the strong God bless you and give you many, many children, a congregation of peoples, and pass on the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants so that you will get this land in which you live, this land God gave Abraham. Guys, this whole story is an amazing illustration of God not afraid to use broken humanity to show us his redemptive story. There's hope for you and me. Um, God makes no apologies for just the family dysfunction, but it's real. Several things that we need to live in in this reality is we must remember what God has done and not take upon um, the path of life to our own strength. Remember what God's done. Trust him. Make yourself known even in your shame telling your story, receive the discipline of a good father, Fo follow what God's doing, and always see the what ifs, even in the midst of your failures. Now, you don't have to tease that out um, because of lack of time. I want to show you one more video in this Show Me the Father uh, series. Once again, listen um, to what's said here about the role of a father. I move in with my brother. I go through junior high, starting high school. I like sports. I play football, basketball, baseball. I find structure in those things, I think. Sophomore year, we got a new football coach at our high school, Coach Paul Morrow. And he, he just commanded respect right from the get-go. So I remember the first two of days, it's like 100 degrees. And he pulls me out of the, the line and grabs me by the face mask and says, listen, if you're going to be a quarterback for this team, you got you got to win at these wind sprints. you got to demonstrate your leadership. And uh, man, it's the first time I had been called out like that. And I would say that I went from a boy to a man under Coach Paul Mora. He started inviting me over to his house for dinner. Why don't you come to my house and have tacos? We've got Taco Tuesday. His wife, Joyce, would make, you know, like a thousand tacos for a couple of us guys that would show up, and we'd just scarf these things down. Eventually, through that year, he asked me if I'd like to go to a fellowship of Christian athletes camp, and I said, I don't got the money for that. He said, no, 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 Joyce and I will pay for that. So I go to this FCA camp, and there's a guy from the San Diego Chargers, and he gave a message, you know, we're clowning around. Like, all we want to do is play football. And at night, we're like, oh, man, another boring Christian speaker. I mean, really, come on. Anyway, this guy gets up there, and he goes, has your father let you down? Has your stepfather let you down? And it just pulled me in. And he said, I'm gonna introduce you to somebody who'll never let you down, that's Jesus Christ. And he just kept talking and I just was compelled. And he said, come down here if you want that relationship with a father that you've never had. And I was there in tears, bawling. I want that father. And that night I gave my life to the Lord. It didn't change everything overnight, 
I mean, I still had many valleys, but eventually it lined up. <laughs> and I will forever be indebted to Coach Paul Morrow. He was that first man that paid attention to me, that seemed to care about me. He was treating me like a dad would. Every child needs a godly father, but that may not be your biological father. It may be someone who accepts that role in your life to bring the heavenly father's perspective to you and to take the principles of what he is like and mirror them, model them before you in the same way that Jesus became the visual image of the heavenly father, men should become the visible image of that father as modeled by Christ to those who still need to be fathered. Where do you go to be fathered? I want to close this morning, which is such a critical principle in this idea of a code of conduct. Um, Proverbs 11.3, throw, throw that up on the screen there, Joe, if you would. Proverbs 11.3. <clears throat> this idea of um, being fathered is the idea of being taught uh, to obey. Now, that word obey, for me, is a very, very tricky word. Because what I was taught about obedience is a performance-based obedience, a task-oriented obedience. That's not what biblical obedience means at all. God doesn't need our performance. He's not calling us to a task when he says obey, he's calling us to an intimate relationship. See, the idea of obedience, follow with me there on your notes. Every son from an early age must be schooled in the will to obey, to follow, to learn, to grow, and to be teachable. To obey can be defined as, quote, to hear God's word and act accordingly. This is because the original word used for obey in the Bible, Shema, also means to hear, to hear. Obedience is more about hearing the voice of God than doing the will of God. If you get that backwards, you're in big trouble. And I had that backwards for most of my life. I grew up in a little country church, and I was told and taught to be a good boy, to be a good boy, to be a good boy. And man, that was like running a marathon in a cul-de-sac. Eventually, you hit a house, and it's just like, I can't do this. That's why in, in our session, in this code of conduct, everything starts with intimacy. I mean, Put it this way, if your grandfather asks you to do something, or if your daddy asks you to do something, what's the difference? Who are you most likely to follow? Now, again, I understand that's a tricky question. If I don't follow what my daddy says, he's going to beat my butt, is kind of the general experience uh, uh, response. I'm going to I'm going to follow what my granddaddy says because I don't want to disappoint him. I don't want to grieve him. You see the difference? See, that's what godly obedience is intended to be, is a response to the loving voice of a father. If obedience is not carried out in the context of intimacy, then you're on a legalistic journey that will end in destruction. Do you get that? that you will be living by shoulds and oughts, and you're going to should all over yourself until you stop shoulding on yourself. 
Performance will not get you to the end. You know what will get you to the end? With that four-letter word. I'm with you. I'm with you. I know you. I see you. So when we say, I want to be obedient, then what we really hopefully are saying is I don't want to disappoint my granddaddy, God. I don't want to disappoint my brother, Jesus, my heavenly brother. I, I want to be intimately acquainted. And, the, and God says, that's what I require. He doesn't need our performance. He needs our heart. So a heart of joy and peace comes from an intimate connection with the living Father. Guys, I would say this. When we ended deer camp um, um, on Sunday uh, morning, there was 53 guys that had been a part of an intimate encounter with the living God. Nobody was on performance. We were motivated. We could have charged hell with a squirt gun. The power of a father, of the power of a grandfather, the power of an intimate encounter with the living God will change your life. Don't settle for anything less. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for our time this morning. I thank you for um, the picture um, of a father um, through your son Jesus, through your actions toward us. May we be tethered and square knotted into you um, in such a way uh, that our broken hearts are healed and that you are honored through our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. Have a good week.